0: Good morning, as uh, many of you know, Sharon and I are blessed with six children, which leads me to think, that's why I said, oh, Ed knows something about community, (laughs) uh, and by the way, five of whom are Little Footprints alumni, so uh, as we've said before, Little Footprints truly is the Lehigh University (laughs) of uh, of, um, preschools, indeed. (laughs) Authentic community, Um, and as you heard last week regarding expanding the table for the glory of God and God's vision for family, as we talk about community, it won't surprise you that there's a lot of similarity and a lot of echo between family and marriage and community, uh, the things that cause it to thrive and the things that would cause it to disintegrate. Marriage has been studied uh, probably since uh, Adam and Eve. And one of the things that just happened recently in Britain was that there was an in-depth study by Dr. Sue Johnson and her team not on what causes marriage to disintegrate. That's been studied for a while. But what causes marriage to thrive? And they concluded just recently there's one characteristic of marriage that causes it to thrive. Well, guess what it is? Netflix. <laughs> no, not Netflix. <laughs> Word that easy. I'm not going to give you the answer now. We're going to conclude with the answer because what causes marriage to thrive echoes what causes the community that God is calling us to to thrive. So when we talk about the church... And community. What we recognize is first, the church launched with a powerful, intensely powerful community that was beautiful to behold. And so that Ro- the Roman uh, Empire and everywhere a church was planted to so that great favor at least to to, to begin. Great favor with all the people because it was so beautiful to behold because anywhere human beings see community in whatever form it is, we find it compelling. Now, why is that? It's because going back to the beginning of the beginning in Genesis, scripture tells us this. In the beginning, Elohim, God Elohim, plural, three persons or more, Elohim said, let us, Create man in our image. What the scripture is telling us is is that the very beginning of the universe wasn't just power or energy or a mind, but hearts. A God, plural, hearts in community, saying, Let us make man in our image. And Genesis continues with the first thing that was not good about the universe. And God said, it is not good that man should be alone. And then the Gospel of John picks us up, taking us back to the time before the beginning. In the beginning already was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's going to talk to us now about our Creator, God, who became Jesus Christ, who became the Lord Jesus And you'll see all through John, this emphasis on withness. And I'm going to take you to particularly the Lord's Prayer in John. We often consider our Father art in heaven the Lord's Prayer. That's the Lord teaching us to pray. This is the Lord Jesus in John 17. If you want it when you get home, read John 17. This is the Lord Jesus praying, and his heart is, Father, I want those who you've given me be with me. Where I am, that they may see my glory, the glory that you've given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. What we were created into was a loving relationship between the Father and the Son and the Spirit, and they've invited us in, and it's not only our beginning, it's our future. This is how Revelation concludes, our future and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, the dwelling places, uh, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. As your body requires oxygen, is made for oxygen, your soul is made for community, community with God and with other people, and I want to make a point right now, a distinction. The Lord has created us, and for the last couple decades, there's been a tremendous emphasis on a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you have a personal relationship with God, emphasizing Powerfully important truths that Jesus Christ came not just to be the Savior, but to be your Savior, your Lord, that He calls His own by name. He's not some rock star standing on the edge of the stage. I love you all. No, the promise of Scripture is that they will see His face. You, me, our Lord. And we will see his face. He is and wants to be your personal Lord and Savior. Personal, but not private. He never called us to a private relationship. The Lord Jesus Christ was asked, and it's recorded for us in, in Matthew 22, but really in, in several places. The Lord says this, that he's tested. Tested. Tested by the Pharisees. That he's asked, what is the most important law? What's at the, they're asking, what's at the foundation of the universe? What's the most important law? And Jesus answers, the most important law is love, the Lord your God, with all your heart, mind, and soul. And then he says, and the second, and they go, whoa, whoa, whoa. We didn't ask for two. <laughs> we asked for one. He says, well, I'm giving you two. <laughs> The second commandment is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. In fact, the Apostle John goes on to say, anyone who says that they love God, but they don't love their brother, is deceiving themselves. Because God has woven love of himself and love of others. Loving the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. He's woven that in to the fabric of the universe. The fabric of our hearts. And we know that because just like when we see beautiful sunsets and we go, ah, it reflects something bigger and beautiful, we see that in the common practical things of life and how community even in little ways, is so practically beautiful. Uh, Some of you are familiar with the work of the renowned philosopher and theologian, Margaret Williams. (laughs) That's her from her days back as the dean of student life at Williams University. Where's Heather? (laughs) Um, She was asked, she was asked one day, and, and I brought the picture just so you could see, yeah, a lot of kids. She was asked one day, how do you divide your love among so many children? And she answered, oh, that's not how love works. Love doesn't divide. Love multiplies. (laughs) Apparently. (laughs) Love doesn't divide. Love multiplies. It's good, right? And there's a lot more where where, where that came from. We know that. We know that from the community of life, the mathematics of life, that joy shared is joy shared multiplied. At the core level of life, as C.S. Lewis said, the beginning of friendship is, you too? You too? Do you like sandwiches? I like sandwiches too. Let's form a club. We'll call it Club Sandwich. (laughs) Mitch told it better. (laughs) I get it. But you get the point. You get the point. At the core of every friendship is shared a happiness that's shared is a happiness that's multiplied but work shared is work divided burden shared is burden shared divided isn't that you following joy shared multiplied work shared divided in fact something else happens Uh, Not long ago, after one of our our storms, it seems like we have fewer storms, but more violent storms. And uh, at our property, I think when we moved in, we had 12 trees that are no longer there. And anyway, we had to um, borrow a chainsaw, because if you know me, chainsaw is something I don't have. And so I asked, hey, does anybody have a chainsaw? And he asked not to be named, fair enough, but one of the men in our church said, Yeah, Ed, no problem. I've got a chainsaw. But he didn't just bring me the chainsaw. He brought himself. And we did it together. And we had fun. And that was not only work, shared work, divided. But out of it came camaraderie and friendship. And he's really good with the chainsaw, so it made it easy too. <laughs> but that's what community is. Community on the human level, allows us to enter into something more than ourselves, be part of something bigger than ourselves, but it's also part of the humanity that Christ and God has made us for. The Lord says in Romans 12, weep with those who weep, Celebrate with those who celebrate because I have made you to love them. So enter into their lives. Come out of your own and enter into theirs. And if they're rejoicing, celebrate with them because that's what I've made you to do. And if they're weeping, enter into their heartache. So much of what is community is compelling, but a lot of it's challenging too. And so as we talk about the community that the Lord has called us to, I realized there are so many points of things to do and not to do and so much advice. Rather than take the next 15 minutes and say a little bit about a lot of things, what I thought we'd do is we'd take the next 15 minutes and we're going to focus on not just the words of our Lord Jesus, we're going to focus on His life. We're going to look at a moment from our Lord Jesus as we see the heart that created us living with the men that he created. We're going to pick up the life of the Lord Jesus on the evening that we call Good Friday. Jesus and his disciples, they had just finished the Last Supper, and... um... Jesus is beginning his walk. They leave the the upper room. Jesus is beginning his walk that will lead him to trial, to the cross, and the grave. And let's listen to the transaction of the words that that occur. Um, Then Jesus says to his disciples, you will all fall away because of me tonight, but after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answers, "Though they all <laughs> though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away." Jesus said to Peter, "Truly, I tell you. This very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. There's a lot to unpack here. Um, With Peter's not me. But I'm going to begin with this. Peter says... Even if they all. Now who was they all? Was the other disciples. Where were they all? They were right there. So how's that for King building? Even if they all, I will not. But as we begin to unpack the layers of what we see in Peter. And his response and the layers of our humanity that the Lord Jesus is dealing with that sabotage family that sabotage community the first thing we're going to point out together is Peter's absolute blindness to his own frailty Peter's absolute blindness to his own failing and potential to fail the Lord Jesus in Matthew 7, but really throughout the Gospels, diagnoses it like this. He says, "You uh, strain at or stare at the mote that's in your neighbor's eye, being oblivious to the beam that's in your own eye." And that is pretty funny, but it's also frighteningly accurate. Our human wiring in our fallen state has equipped us that we are completely, often ignorant of our own flaws, but extremely, extremely aware of those of other people. As I've shared with you some time in the past, sometimes I've learned really obnoxious behavior about myself by watching other people. <laughs> Like, wow, that's really obnoxious. Ooh, I do that. So it's like, so what do you do? do sh- should you write them a thank you note? <laughs> you know, dear so-and-so. <laughs> Thanks for being so short-tempered. I really learned what that looks like. <laughs> We're blind. We're ignorant to our failings in ourselves. Peter. It's like, Lord, even if me never, absolutely never. But compounded in community with our uncanny ability to see the flaws in other people and be blind to ourselves remains that desire to be friends and to have camaraderie. And so you know what? You find throughout the Bible it says this, Do not give in to gossip. Do not give in to evil speaking. Maybe every epistle says something along that way. Don't give in to gossip. Don't give in to evil speaking. Why? Because we're all looking for those things to bond about. And you know what? One of the things to bond about that's so easy and so shallow is other people. Oh, you think Ed's a weirdo? I think Ed's a weirdo too. Let's form a club. Let's form a club. And it forms this shallow gossip, shallow evil speaking, shallow connection with someone else, bonding over the flaws of someone else, but ultimately is so counterproductive to the true community that God is calling us to. And even worse is when people will take that same flaw of ignorance to our own sinfulness, but awareness of other people's, and they take the word of God, Without the heart of God. And they'll read and they'll say, Oh, hey, thus saith the Lord, I agree with God about what's wrong with you. And that's something that religion has done probably since the beginning of time, but at least since the book of Romans. Because in the book of Romans, what you have is the Lord laying out the case of how mankind has turned away from the glorious light of God in relationship and he lays out all the things that mankind is doing, and he, the Spirit and Paul probably anticipate all the religious people going, Yup, Yup, Yup. And then he begins chapter 2. And who are you, oh religious person? Who are you? We do that in our insecurities. We look to elevate ourselves by putting someone else down. You know, Peter could have come to the Lord and said, Lord, I. Uh, you're saying I'm going to betray you. I can't see it. I love you so much I would die for you. He could have come and said that, but he did add that little dig of even if they. And it's so part of our humanity. so part of our humanity. But there is Peter representing me, representing us, and the Lord Jesus dealing with Peter. So how does the Lord deal with Peter? Well, what we know is that the next time we find Peter is this. Peter, on the night, on this night, Peter is challenged and he denies the Lord once, twice. and Now here's the third time. And those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you're one of them. Then Peter began to call down curses and he swore, I don't know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered that Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. have Have you been there? I want there to be an awkward silence for a moment. Have you been there? In the bitter weeping. You know, we talk about what destroys the community that God made us for, the community between us and God, the community between us and each other. An expression of what the Bible calls sin is the shame that comes? It operates normally in our life. Shame operates in some kind of low-grade fever, the insecurity, the fears that we don't measure up. As the Bible would say, we we miss the mark. Uh, Brene Brown speaks of the human condition, and she says, you either know what it is to deal with shame, or you're a sociopath. She'd rather you not be a sociopath, and I would agree. Scripture says we've missed the mark. But have you ever been in the position where you can no longer hide and no longer deny? I'm going to call it full-blown shame. What the psalmist says from inside, my bones are eating me. You see, all of the realities that Jesus Christ talks about, all of the realities the enemy has so that we're blinded to most of them, our frailty, our mortality, our failures, and all the rest, we're able to, like Peter, this is the Lord Jesus telling Peter, Peter, you're going to deny me. It's like water off a duck's back to Peter. What? No. And suddenly, it's dawned on him. Peter's reality of himself and his own failures, and this is what the enemy of our souls does. He says, you don't have to listen to the Lord Jesus. When the Lord Jesus says, the wages of sin is death, don't worry about it. Until death is staring you in the face, and nothing can prepare you for that moment. It's like I asked you, Are you afraid of sharks? I say, What? Here? <laughs> this is quite a renovation. <laughs> but it's very different when you turn in the ocean and there's the fin coming towards you. Nothing prepares you for that moment, just like nothing prepares you for the moment when yourself is revealed to the world. To yourself. Because then what the enemy does is he goes, you don't have to worry about forgiveness and grace. Don't worry about that. To then coming into the darkness of your failure and saying, who could ever forgive you? Who could ever love you? Who could ever value you? And this is where Peter goes out. Peter goes out and he's wept bitterly because he has officially messed up, officially denied the Lord, and there's no undoing it. He can't go back and undo. And I'm going to suggest to you that that night, Peter was the most miserable person on earth who didn't have a spike through his feet. And maybe even more than them. Peter the shame that disintegrated. He thought him and the Lord, him and the other disciples, I'm done. I failed when it mattered most. Have you ever failed when it mattered most? So Easter morning breaks and Jesus rises from the dead and the angel speaks to the women and says, but go tell His disciples. He's harking back to the Lord's prophecy. I've risen. I'm going to go ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. Just as he told you. And if that was the scripture. That would be powerful. Life changing. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. The greatest king has fought the greatest battle. And won the greatest victory. That verse is enough to change our lives forever, but it's not complete because the Lord adds one subtle, to me profoundly beautiful detail, and it's this. It says, but go tell his disciples, and Peter, Peter. Because what this tells us, those simple words, Jesus could have left Peter twisting in the wind. Does he want to see me? I failed him. When he asked me not, I failed him. What this tells us, this is a glimpse into the heart of our God. As it says, prophesying of Jesus, the bruised reed he does not break. The smoking wick he does not put out. Whereas the enemy of your soul in your brokenness will come in and say, you are nothing to be destroyed. The scripture tells us of Jesus, his pure and tender heart. And he says, go and tell Peter. And you know what else I love? He could have said, go and tell Cephas, because that was his name. Go and tell Cephas. Peter was the name that Jesus gave him. Peter was the name meaning the rock. You're the one that I'm going to build this on. Well, so much for that. Boy, you failed at the first notice. Jesus says, no, go and tell my rock. Because he's not Peter the denier. He's Peter my child. Peter my son. And as the Lord Jesus Christ, even in the brokenness, even in the distress, Jesus Christ coming and doing for us what we could never have done. This is what the Lord Jesus speaks of. Next slide. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him again before the world was. To, he came from the Father and he's going to the Father. Having loved his own who are in the world, he loved them to the end. And that is our Lord. When we are faithful, he remains faithful. There is a Lord and his name is faithful and true. The Lord who loves to the end there are no surprises with him next slide there are no surprises the word became flesh and dwelt among us he knows us and this is what distinguishes jesus christ from anyone else people say is jesus christ the only what's There are many sources of do the right thing or else. There are many sources of shame when you fail. But there's one source of grace. And this is what so thrilled the disciples. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory full of grace and truth. And out of his fullness, we've all received grace on top of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. But say it with me. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. What is it, the one thing, that causes marriages to thrive? The one thing, in the words of the researchers, is this is that you're confident that your spouse is your advocate. That your spouse is looking for your well-being. And I'm going to suggest to you that that is just a little reflection of our Lord Jesus Christ to us. Because when you have a spouse that is your advocate, then there is grace. And where there's grace, there's the opportunity to be vulnerable, to be exposed, because it's not, oh, now I see the real you, I've had it, but I am committed to you, and that is our Lord Jesus Christ. There are no surprises with him. He knows us. Next slide. He knows us, but this is what scripture says. While we were weak, Christ died. While we were without strength, Christ died. Died. And what the community of Christ is, is people who've discovered this Lord, this Lord, this Lord with the heart of grace and church community. Church community is to be the ultimate place where it's not we agree with God about what's wrong with you, but we agree with God with how Christ views you and how Christ has valued you. And it is Christ who is the author, the finisher, and the entire engine for the community that we are called to. Look at this. The Lord Jesus says to Peter, after Peter, he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter answers. Lord, you know that I love you. Now this was not the beginning of the conversation. The, con- the beginning of the conversation has been going on for years, but in particular, the Lord Jesus, and this is why I wanted to read this, the Lord Jesus loved Peter well. Having loved Peter from the beginning, he loved him to the end. Peter experienced the grace in Christ and the forgiveness. Real time, the resurrection of Jesus Christ was the restoration of Peter. Same for you and for me. The death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it demonstrates his love and he calls us to be restored into community with him. And then Jesus says to Peter, Do you love me because I first loved you? He says, Well, then take care of my sheep. Next slide. This is what the new commandment, the Lord says, as I've loved you. I'm not asking you to conjure this up, do your best. As I've loved you, I want you to love each other. You be vines connected to me. I'll be the source of your love. But live in it. Let the Spirit demonstrate. Let my word reveal how much I love you. And then let my love of you flow through you so that you will love each other. I'd like to call the worship band uh, forward at this time but what I'd like to say as they're coming up is that what we're called to be is a community around Christ to borrow the original term which has been co-opted for good reason but the community around Christ where are you broken Us, us too me too. And when someone's caught in despair and the enemy is seeking to destroy them, God calls us as a community of grace to come alongside those, not abandoned the way the enemy would want us to, but to come alongside and to celebrate, not what they've done, but to celebrate who they are meant to be in Christ and bring them To the feet of the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. A Christian community that's gathered around religion will not be a safe place. But a Christian community that is gathered around the heart and love and gospel of Jesus Christ, to whom he has said to us, while you were yet a sinner, I died for you to bring you to myself. With that, with our God as our advocate, as our lover and friend, that will be a community, a powerful place of grace and truth.